When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, if you want to help support the show, head on over to our Patreon. An exclusive reward for our show's patrons is access to our Discord server. Check the link in the description for more info. And welcome everybody into the Mind Sculptors. I am your host, Caleb, also known as Callahan. And uh, joining me again today is uh, my good friends Cobblepot and Pongo. How are you guys doing today? Good to be here. Yeah, good Good to be back. Uh, doing well tonight. Yeah. Um, so uh, before we even jump in, because we're doing a Commander Legends set review, um, I know I'm going to get comments. I'm recording this a little bit before it comes out. Um, so my microphone <laughs> in the last video uh, was disastrously bad. Um, so what had happened was, is earlier in the day, I had unplugged my laptop and was sitting in the living room uh, with my fiance and we were watching election results together. And I was just on my computer. When I came back in and plugged my computer in, uh, my it didn't default back to my microphone. And so uh, everything that you heard was recorded off my computer's PC, like microphone. Uh, so that was why my voice sounded like I was nine miles away. So and it doesn't have a pop filter. No, it didn't have a pop filter, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, you could just like try to overdub the entire thing. <laughs> All like one and a half to two hours of it, right? Just you know, script it out and overdubbed our voices too. You know, like using. I'll just try and do. I'll just try to do my best Cobblepot and Pongo impersonation. Yeah, I don't even know if I could do that. I just have to make my voice deep for Pongo. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So we're talking about Commander Legends today, and uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, quite a few cards that are coming out, and specifically in how they're going to be impacting CEDH. Um, and uh, probably just starting off right off the bat, might as well get the big one out of the way, right? Um, the good old pushed Avon Mind Sensor Opposition Agent. If you haven't got a chance yet to see what Opposition Agent is, it's two colorless and a black creature uh, with flash. You control your opponents while they're searching their libraries. While an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. You may play those cards for as long as they remained exiled. And you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast them. And on top of it's a 3-2. I'm generally su- genuinely surprised this thing does not have flying. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, even Mind Sensor has flying. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's so much to unpack with this thing. Um, just what are our thoughts on this? I mean, I, th- I think the first thing right off the bat 
is uh, a, a lot of people are going to compare it to Avon Mind Sensor just because it's the same casting cost. It has flash. Uh, it hates on tutors. Uh, and, and those are, you know, all noteworthy similarities, but I think that's where the similarities end. Uh, you, you look at the patterns of play and you look at the implications of getting caught by, mm-hmm. you know, one of these coming down. In, in the case of an Avon Mind Sensor, when you lead out with a tutor and somebody catches you with an Avon Mind Sensor, it's like, oops, oh well, you know, it, it it's like your your spell got count, you know, maybe your spell got countered or maybe your fetch turns out to be a fail to find or something like that. And that and that's kind of it. You shrug your shoulders and you move forward. This is is really uh, effectively a Praetor's grasp uh, when it resolves and stays on the table. So in that case, depending on how it is that you built your deck, you can get into a circumstance if you've if you've been greedy with your deck design and for instance if you know Thassa's Oracle is your, your your only win con and your 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 deck is just really really uh, optimized on all the different layers and ways that you can get to your oracle and you know get it down as efficiently and as uh, you know consistently as possible um, and if somebody can snag that then you're you're in a really difficult position so I, I think that the implications here are twofold. One is there's the possibility that its existence will cause people to change or you know adjust their deck building to maybe not as greedy in their focus around singular win cons. Um, and I think that that one's going to be less of an impact. I think the, the, the bigger impact that you're going to see, the thing that's going to be more prominent is there'll be a shift in gameplay. People will be less cavalier about leading out with a tutor um, if they don't have protection for the tutor or they don't have a counterspell that can deal with a creature, um, especially when somebody has two and a black open. Yeah, that's an important point. Um, people holding up two and a black... Or well, I mean, I mean, it doesn't two, even need to be that two and a and a you know maybe a rainbow land. Essentially, if they're they're representing two and a black, um, then you know you you have to respect the possibility that opposition agent is coming down. I had this situation come up in a game recently on stream, um, where one of my opponents passed with two and possibly a black up. It was a rainbow land, and I was like, okay, well, I I guess this is it. Like. <laughs> we're we're finally going to see this card in action, aren't we? So <clears throat> I opted to, you know, not use my fetch land and instead pitch it to my Mox Diamond in that position when, you know, otherwise I probably would have fetched for, you know, a land that I wanted a little bit more than the land that I ended up playing out. Turns out that the card ended, was an Aven Mind Sensor, so it wouldn't have been nearly as bad had it come down. But uh, wouldn't have been great, but still, still bad, <laughs> right? You still, you, you always had to respect Aven Mind Sensor, but like. You know, the thing about Avon Mind Sensor hitting a fetch land is that, like, if that's just a strip mine, it's not necessarily, like, game over for you right away. Um, whereas this, kind of like what Cobblepot was getting at, is, you know, when as you're reading this card, essentially the impression you're getting is that it's like, there's, there's always, there's one more thing. 
and there's one more thing. But wait, there's one more thing. Um, not only is this, you know, everything that Cobblepot mentioned, um, you know, there there was so many opportunities to kind of, I guess, like tweak this card a little bit so it was not quite as stupid as it actually is. Um, so not only does it do everything that Cobblepot mentioned, but in addition to that, you don't actually need to have Opposition Agent in play to be able to play the card after. So if you get a card off of it, um, you know, your opponent tutors and you manage to successfully take control of them during that period and exile a card, um, if Opposition Agent gets killed later, you still get access to that card in exile. Um, additionally, there's one more thing. It color strips the card. So it's not even like Praetor's Grasp where you have to like pay the mana right. cost, like the right. colored cost. It color strips for you. So your Thassa's Oracle that you stole costs two colorless mana. You can play it off of a soul ring instead of playing play it, it off, off of mana two blue. Crypt. Yeah, you can play it off your uh. mana crypt for, for two blue. Um, so, so like I said, there's always one more thing with this card that just makes it even stupider than it seems at first first glance. Um, there was a question that yeah. came up uh, at one point, and I, I, I don't, I never actually heard what the the answer was because there wasn't a judge in the room. But um, the situation is somebody was able to, you know, land an opposition agent and then you know steal a card, and then somebody gilded draked the opposition agent, and people weren't sure. It's like, well, now that control of the opposition agent has shifted from one player to another. Does the original player still retain that, um, you know, that that hidden card, or does the owner, if if opposition agent is still in play, does the current well, owner get so, that control? So other cards uh, that have a similar effect, right? I'm struggling like to Gaunti. think of some. Like Gaunti, yeah, that's yeah, like Gaunti, yeah, easiest one to think um, of. Don't do that. Um, but they also have this conditional piece to it, right? Where it's a, you may play this for as long or as for as long as you control this, right? Um, this specifies you may play. Um, in that, um, it is not a. So if it was an effect where you were effectively putting it underneath an opposition agent, right? Where you were like exiling under underneath of it. Um, you would probably see something where you could play something like that. Um, but it would not... I, I don't think it change, changes owners. Um, opposition agent opens up a lot of really tricky judge questions as a judge. And some of that is going to be... Um, what do the release notes say? That makes sense. Um, and so a lot of these questions like this are going to be pure speculation until those release notes drop. Because any judge who will sit here and tell you for sure how that works um, is talking out of their ass, honestly, because they don't know. Uh, we could get the release notes and find out that it doesn't work that way. Um, so, But my estimation, based on how other similar effects work, is that it would not change ownership. Okay. Well, so it's interesting because you don't own the card that gets exiled either. They well, they exile the card, right? So right. they still have that card in exile. Um, and I think that's where it becomes an interesting question, like what Cobble was getting at. I the, the word you, because right. you control. Right. The, the, word, I, I, the word you changes owner so, right. or it's, controller. And I, it's and a I'm static ability, sure, right? right? It's not and I'm, like a trigger. 
Um, and I think there is some sort of time stamping with it. All these effects have some time stamping thing that's attached to them that makes it very strange. Um, it's just... Ugh. The whole thing is weird, and I really hate design like this because it just opens up a can of worms like this that, unless you specifically think about those in the design, are just going to make some very, very... Um, annoyed judges <laughs> <laughs> or extensive rulings lists right right uh, I, yeah from my perspective you know not a judge but very someone who's very interested in the rules of magic for, for clear reasons um, you know I, I'm like okay with designs like this at least in theory not the specific design in this case mm -hmm. I think this card is pushed way too far um, but I think most of us can agree to that um, however, the way I've always looked at magic is kind of the idea that all the rules are sort of on the cards. Um, and then, you know, at least in spirit, right. there's like kind of a few basic rules to the game. Now, in, in truth, there's a massive <laughs> list of comprehensive rules yes. and magic is incredibly complex, but like to, to grasp magic and to play it, you don't actually need to know all the comprehensive rules. Um, mm -hmm. you know. It, it right. really, when you're playing it just as a player, it feels like all the rules are kind of on the cards. Um, and this feels kind of, you know, like it's a bold step towards expanding that space where there's just new rules being printed on a new right. card. Well, and part of my issue with the design, too, is the you control your opponents aspect of it. Um, I generally look at their speaking, hand and other game yeah, I, I, I generally don't like, generally speaking, mind slaver-like effects um, outside of the it-feels-bad thing. Um, as a judge, it opens up a lot of opportunities for problematic play. Um, where there are plenty of plenty of times where somebody's like I, I think a great example of this is in tournaments uh, where somebody's playing like Blue Tron, right? And one of the wins with that is you mind slaver lock people, and before you get the lockdown, I've had to issue penalties for people incorrectly playing things as the mind slaver, and so anytime there is something where it's like you pick up your opponent's deck and search for something. I'm generally like, eh, I don't love that. Uh, it just opens up a lot of really icky uh, play things. And I, I think specifically this is less of a problem in a digital space uh, because then it's you don't have the cheating aspect of it and all right. those things. Although it does. It, it depends on the digital space in question, right? Because well, if you're playing yeah. over webcam, um, this introduces a ton of new problems a different issue. cards like yeah. Raider's grasp resolving cards like this over webcam which um you know i think increasingly going forward is a style of gameplay that wizards is interested in supporting uh you know it's it's really difficult it's uh, quite awkward to do that especially in multiplayer right. single player it's one thing but in multiplayer Praetor's grasp is very awkward to resolve actually Praetor's grasp is still awkward to resolve in single player over webcam um, because that card is supposed to be hidden to the person whose right. deck it belongs to. So, so and, this right. does not yeah. have that. So it's it's going to be exiled face up. So people will know right. what it is that you took. So that's at least a little bit easier. Right. 
Well, I'm sure we could continue talking about that card I, for an I, entire I do, episode. I do want to touch on um, just one, one other aspect of it, um, and, and, and that's how it's going to, another way that it's going to impact gameplay. So, I mean, yes, it's definitely going to make people think or be a lot more cautious before you know committing to tutors in, in game. But uh, the, the same way that people currently... A lot of people who who play CDH kind of have a you know a sixth sense with Notion Thief. They mm-hmm. they can you know look at somebody who's who's in dimmer colors and be able to see four mana open. You can kind of sense it out. right. Yeah. You can you can kind of tell that there's a Notion Thief on its way. Uh, th- this this is going to have kind of a similar characteristic where Notion Thief doesn't see as much play because it's it it excels in places where People are, are weaponizing wheels and, and things like that. People mm-hmm, don't right. really use Notion Thief just as kind of, you know, a hate bear. They don't they don't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're going to use it when they can exploit it, you know, as far as it can go. This, on the other hand, the ceiling is so high and doesn't require extra pieces. You don't you don't have to be playing like a wheels game. You, you don't have to be, you know, on a certain game plan to have an extremely high ceiling with the card i think it's going to see you know near universal play especially at the beginning when everyone's testing it out um, yeah absolutely and and so so what you're going to have happen is even when people don't have it if they don't have a better thing that they can be doing it's going to be profitable to bluff that they do have it right and there's there's one more thing you know it's it's as you were saying it's uh, it's stranglehold at instant speed for one less mana Right. Obviously, it's missing one line of text, but who cares? Um, Might and, as well read that way. <laughs> uh, you know, beyond that, um, it, like you were saying, it's uh, it's not just a hate bear. It's um, it's also it can be a value play in a lot of cases. And so, unlike a card like Aven Mind Sensor, which I think is generally just going to slow down the game, um, you know, and ideally you're going to take advantage of that. Um, and usually that's pretty easy because it's asymmetrical and it does something pretty disruptive. Um, this is, if you time it correctly, or if you're lucky enough to be able to catch someone unawares, it's going to just win the game for you on the spot. So it's not, it's not as much of a, like a pure hate bear. It's also a card that you just kind of can happily jam into your deck for value, even if you're on a proactive strategy, because everyone's playing tutors. And everybody who is on Dimmer has a a pretty strong incentive to be on oracle and you know tainted pact or consultation in, right. in some shape or form so because everybody is in that same boat it you can look at it as kind of this asymmetric you know anti-tutor that becomes a tutor for your win con right i mean, I mean it's 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 the boast of it's the the best of the best of both worlds and it's <laughs> going to be the, the the card that everyone has in hand even when they don't have it in hand i think is what's right. going to be yeah and a lot of times even in the worst case scenario is you can just find like a tutor from their deck and cast that on your turn you know you you essentially countered one of their spells played a hate piece and then also sort of drew a really strong card while you were at it so right. like that's that's just you know that's the ceiling of the card right there so Good card. moving on to the next hate bear that's really pushed and is, you know, 
a, a better version of a different card effectively. Um, we've got Holt Hole Breacher. It's a uh, two colorless mana and a blue. Also, it's a Merfolk Pirate who's a three-two. It has Flash. If an opponent would draw a card except the first one, they draw in each of their draw steps. Instead, you create a treasure token. So to summarize so that we can simplify it, this is Notion Thief, but instead of drawing the cards, you make treasure. Um, so this is a card that a lot of people have kind of immediately recognized uh, that it plays the same role of LED and these Underworld Breach and Wheel of Fortune loops, uh, but you don't lose your hand and you're also taking everybody else off their hands. Um, this card is another card that's just insane. <laughs> right. I, I, I think that it's for for the decks that are that are trying to weaponize wheels, you know, your Opa your Opus Thief kind of variation decks. It's it's a slam dunk, and it will only improve uh, those game plans uh, for the decks like you're saying that are on breach. It's it's another redundant piece with LED that is actually uh, more secure than you know if if you got LED with World of you know Wheel of Fortune or something like that. You 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 better have a a grand abolisher or a silence effect or or something that is keeping mm -hmm. your opponents from interacting with you because. If you're using a wheel to 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 populate your your, your graveyard, um, everybody else is seeing all of their cards too. Uh, even and, LED and brain freeze, right? Because uh, yeah. there's you always just kind of run the risk of getting like abrupt decay or something like that. Right. So in, in this particular case, it's taking it, it, it's it's hell bending everybody else at the table and netting you way more mana than than LED does. So it's mana positive with each wheel. Um, by a lot, actually. Oh, yes. Right. So it, and you're getting 21 mana a wheel. Yes. If it's Wheel of Fortune. Yes. Right. So um, it that's it's it's just a crazy crazy good card. Um, I I think that currently the, the 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 Opus Thief decks that you see dip into white because. You know, you got Smothering Tithe, and you got Alms Collector, and in order to kind of have the critical mass that you need of pieces that can exploit or profitably give you uh, breaking of parity with wheel effects, you know, you kind of needed to go into white. And I think the presence of this can, on the one hand, make it feasible to play that same game plan, dropping white and just going into Grixis, or it also allows what I think is, is probably a, a, a more reasonable choice is so your, your, your Opus Thief deck is, is normally going to be Timna and Kralm. Um And neither of those has a mana outlet. I think having both Smothering Tithe and Hull Breacher in your list and, you know, Dockside Extortionist most likely as well. You're, you you have so many avenues for generating big mana that I think moving up into Kenrith instead just to have an outlet for the mana to increase your you know your percentage for being able to have some you know game 
should you somehow you know either get disrupted or whatever um i i think that that's going to be a profitable direction that people take the list so either people expand and you know move into kenrith or people trim some of the white fat that they don't need and see what they can do just in the grixis colors yeah i think um there's still a pretty strong draw to playing uh timnachrom just because you you get both of the card advantage engines in the command zone mm-hmm. um and chrom in particular like compared to kenrith is kind of like a more mana efficient way of actually drawing additional cards he's he's kind of a bit better outside of like the infinite mana like seedborn muse kind of like slow grindy scenarios um at, at drawing you additional cards because you know he doesn't really ask you to put any mana into him he just kind of has to sit around for you to passively gain card advantage uh and then you know timna is just timna um so i do <laughs> think that i agree insofar as um white and you know splashing into white and playing Timna and Chrom becomes less let's say critical uh Grixis wheel type decks like uh, Opus Thiefy type decks disruptive wheel decks let's say um get a leg up um because you know those types of decks are really just looking for like a plus b wheel plus payoff type effects and this is one of them and this is you know one of the best that we've seen thus far Mm -hmm. um so I agree insofar as you know this does make Grixis look a little bit better um it also makes i i also agree that it makes um white less crucial to that type of strategy uh where i'm not a hundred percent sure i agree is on whether this pushes you into kenrith um certainly that's a direction you can take and i think that that's like totally valid (laughs) and like i think that that is a deck so i don't disagree with you but i think that where a lot of people will probably look first is going to be something like um uh, Thrasios File Smasher, which is just mm-hmm. like Sans White, because like kind of as you said, right? We we no longer really need White for this type of strategy, um, mm-hmm. and we kind of just want that um, sync in the command zone. Uh, Thrasios is a little bit better at doing that, and you know you still get to keep all the breach lines and everything like that. Thrasios File Smasher was already picking up quite a bit um, in popularity just because of breach. Yes. So I think that this is just another slam dunk for that type of deck. This also goes into CST, um, just because that deck was already kind of on the Notion Thief wheel plan. Right. And, you know, this is essentially, in certain respects, just a better Notion Thief. Um, you know, it, it's disruptive in the same way, and that's a big part of why you play Notion Thief. Uh, mm-hmm. Thrasios converts treasures into cards, but at the end of the day, you're mostly interested in comboing this with your wheel effect to strip everyone's options well and one and we're going to talk about this card coming up um one thing that i definitely see it fitting into as well is with the new partner malcolm uh one thing that i've seen people working with well people being myself uh is a (laughs) i'm people uh a timna malcolm like hate bears list um, that really tries to take advantage of the Hall Breacher, the Opposition Agent, all these different things. And uh, I, I think there's definitely a deck there. And uh, when I saw Hall Breacher, because at first I saw Opposition Agent and I was like, oh boy. And then I saw Hall Breacher and I'm like, oh, not only is it make you treasure there, uh, but if you attack with it and hit somebody in the face, it also makes you treasure there. Um, 
And if you're pairing that with Timna, uh, you're also going to be getting some card advantage. And uh, I just think that that is a way that you could make a really, uh, I don't know, necessarily staxy, but a grindy hate bears deck. You, you guys, we, we talked about this on the last episode. Uh, we were all talking about Kenra stacks. I love the decks that just are like, I'm going to make this game slow and I'm going to get this game miserable for everybody. And we're going to play an hour and a half game here. <laughs> I'd be interested in, in your opinions on... So these two cards that we've just looked at mm-hmm. are, are both going to impact the meta. They're both going to exhort... They're, they're going to exert a force on deck building designs in the metagame. And with the kind of the... Uh, punishment that is presented by getting caught with an opposition agent if people will reduce the number of tutors especially if there's an incentive to focus game plans around big draw instead and when i say big draw it's either you know treasure based mm-hmm. thrasios or kenrith kind of draw engines in the command zone and or wheels with profitable effects that they can you know a plus B assemble. Uh, I could definitely see that. Um, I mean, especially because we're seeing a lot of incentive to, I don't know necessarily play less tutors, but be more mindful with your tutors. Right. And I think what that's going to do is uh, slow the pace of the game way down uh, because that fear of getting blown out. We talked about this before. You're going to get blown out once by opposition agent and then never do it again. Um, presumably, I would hope so. Um, but I, what I really think is it's going to slow gameplay down and a lot more of these decks that are either going to be mid-range focused. I honestly think it makes CST the best deck in the format because CST is like grindy sandbaggy anyway. Um, so they just introduced a a couple, Hey, here's some stuff to grind and sandbag with. And that deck's just like, Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of my take on it is I, I, I definitely do think there will be this proliferation of decks like Opus Thief, um, where we're going to see more of that. But I also think that we're going to see some to combat that. And we're already kind of seeing that with our decks, um, that we've three uh, we just talked about, uh, where we're all already trying to go after the the fast the, these turbo nos lists, right? Um, and those are in a different way the same thing, right? Um, so Can you explain I think, that a little bit. Well, I mean, so you're not doing big card draw in card draw per se, right? Um, but you're still effectively drawing big cards, okay. right? I see what you're um, saying. So, so, so Turbo Nas, in my mind, is doing the same thing in a way that Opus Thief is doing, but with a different way of getting there. They they both end up doing very similar things outside of maybe like the way they take advantage of wheels, right? Uh, but they're both like, we want to pick up our decks, and then we're going to win. Like, that is the goal. 
Sure. Um, and so we're, we're kind of already seeing this movement into we're just going to jam this out. Um, and so I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to assume that Opus Thief stocks go way, way, way up. What do you think, Pongo? I feel like I'm quickly settling into a, a certain role in this podcast, and that's the, the role of the, the pessimist at the table. Um, <laughs> Sounds like so, a stacks player. Yeah, I, I actually, I think I disagree with both of you on this. Um, uh, I, I think that this is not going to actually slow down the meta. Um, I actually don't think that either of these cards are really cards that you particularly want to play in slower decks. I think that they both have like strong proactive applications. Hellbreacher in particular is a card that you want to like act actively combo with wheel effects. And if you're only playing it kind of as a hate bear, that's it's not as at its best there. Uh, similar to Notion Thief, mm. uh, you know, you can make an argument that it's a little bit better at three mana at doing that. But I still don't think that you know that's necessarily impactful enough on the game for you to want to be you know jamming that out as your like earliest disruption let's say um you know going to be beyond clear that, though the, the the question that i was asking was do, do you see opus thief like decks taking a larger market share of the medicaid sure yeah so I'll, I'll i think i'll get to that but i think that all this is important okay. uh context for for my uh, opinion on that um so so i still see the meta getting faster actually um i think that the old adage uh, you know, classic magic adage that, you know, you have to make them have it is going to continue to hold true uh, for cards like Opposition Agent. Um, you know, you can't just be too shy and play around it forever. Um, and, you know, if your opponent's bluffing it, you can't play around it necessarily forever. Um, people are still going to try to go for the win. Um, people will get blown out in certain cases, obviously, when they do in fact have it. But it's one card in their 98 or 99. They can't always ever, you know, they can't always have it. Uh, right. And you can't, you can't play scared uh, all the time. You know, when you have the luxury to play around it, sure, that's great. You can play around it. But in many situations, I think you're going to lose percentage points by respecting it too, too much. Um, so, you know, to return to your question about Opus Thief-like decks, um, it kind of depends on how you define what an Opus Thief-like deck is. If we're primarily talking about a sort of mid-rangey disruptive uh, wheel combo deck, um, I've played that deck before, and I don't actually feel that, at least in the current meta, it's the best way to build uh, that that type of deck, that kind of four-color, um, like Grixis X deck or just Grixis deck. Um, you know, in particular, playing like things like board wipes and stuff like that alongside um, your your wheel-based combos. I really think that um, there's a stronger incentive than ever for those types of decks to be playing a faster game plan, a more explosive game plan, rather than a mid-rangey game plan. Um, and so I guess my answer is it, it depends, right? So if you take all of like the turbo decks, you know, that are like Chrom, Timna-based... Uh, or that are comboing with wheels, and you you lump them all together and you call them all Opus Thief, then sure. Um, but if you are have a little bit more granularity and you look at Opus Thief as like one specific deck um, with, like I said, that specific sort of mid-rangey wheel uh, disruption game plan as opposed to a more sort of like aggressive uh, Grixis 
Nas type game plan, then um, then no, I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a, a major major uptick in that type of uh, in that type of deck. I I just I, I guess for my to to clarify with my take, um, and this might come off really snarky, not necessarily to you, but just in general, is my experience is. Um, Good players, I think, and this is going to sound kind of mean, good players will just make you have it, right? Um, I think, like, Hermit Druid is a really good example of this. Hermit Druid players who are good will look you in the face, slam it on the table, and go, and watch you for a turn cycle and go, you can either deal with this now or you can't. Um, and if you can't, I'm winning. Um, as somebody who played with, uh, played, uh, the Kenrith Druid Breach deck and really came up with a lot of the stuff in that. Um, that is a very, like, way you play. Uh, but that is somebody who knows what they're doing, knows the deck pretty well. If somebody who, in what I expect to see, is people who are just like, okay, so I'm looking at the CDH da database. Okay, here's Shaper's List. Okay, I'm going to throw this together. Oh, I don't have this card, I don't have that card. Uh, I'm going to kind of throw it together. Um, in like local metas, I absolutely will see people um, being terrified to cast into an opposition agent. I mean, especially like, a, a, and I'm not saying you're wrong necessarily, uh, but I think the players who are less experienced with the deck will be much, and less experienced in CDH in general, will be much more gun shy about it and are going to be. Um, you know, more cautious uh, with that, especially because opposition agent has such a big penalty attached to it. Um, so that's my kind of thought process with that, if that makes any sense. So, um, so to be clear, you, I think, un agree with what I'm saying, which is that people will only respect it when they have the luxury to do so and otherwise the old adage of make them have it holds true i think I, that's I, true yeah I, I i do agree with that and i i my my point is really more specifically that i think that there are going to be a lot of players who are less experienced with it and are picking these up things up for the first time um because we are seeing a big shift uh where people are really picking up cdh for the first time um and they're going to be terrified of this card um of opposition agents specifically um so but mm -hmm. i could tell we've talked about these two cards for 40 minutes so <laughs> um i mean yeah what, there's what just you so just much said to talk about. it's like pretty interesting because i'm imagining like like a meme template where you know you've got like small brain like jams at every possible opportunity <laughs> new to the game like medium brain waits for like the appropriate window to mm -hmm. go off um like respects opponents having counter magic too much big brain which is like returns to jam at every possible <laughs> opportunity uh and then finally you get to you know the the actual galaxy brain which is like you know, knowing what your opponents have in their hand at all time, right. like better than they actually know what they have in their hand. Right. Um, and, and, you know, picking windows effectively. Um, so, yeah. 
definitely, you know, I, I think that there's like an evolution to that heuristic that people will yeah. apply as they get better at the game. And I guess that's what I'm getting at in a roundabout yeah. kind of way. No, I totally agree. So, and um, not to stop, but we have lots of cards to talk about, and we talked about two for 40 minutes. Um, so the next card on our list we kind of touched on on uh, our last episode um, is Jeweled Lotus, which if, you are, if you've been sleeping under a rock and uh, not paying attention to any of the spoilers, first of all, congratulations. Uh, second of all, uh, so what Jeweled Lotus is, is it is quite literally Black Lotus, but only for commanders. It's a zero mana artifact. You can sacrifice Jeweled Lotus, tap sacrifice, add three mana of any one color, and spend this mana only to cast your commander. Um, so, Pongo, you're uh, one of the Najila guys. Uh, this is an auto-include in Najila, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have the benefit of webcam to see my face, but like, I'm just smiling as you read off this card pretty much, and as you ask me... This, you know, I, this card literally just reads, have a turn one Timna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great with like any of the three or four CMC commanders. I mean, it's great even with five CMC commanders. I think um, people actually underestimate like how many places this goes mm -hmm. and how good it can be. In a lot of situations, um, you know, in particular in Najila, uh, there is such a strong uh, benefit of getting a turn one Najila that I think that that more than any other deck in the format uh, probably benefits from this card. Um, you know, that might be a bit of a hot take, but but turn one Najila is that strong. You know, I've kept so many sketchy hands that just have mana crypt in them because mm -hmm. of like, oh, if I if I draw a land here, like this hand is absolutely stupid, and like I'm almost like assured to win um jeweled lotus you know you just have the jeweled lotus in your hand and you you You're get like, oh, there cool yeah i mean like it's to the point where i've even like gone in the najila server and i've been like do we play gamble now just so we have like one extra like jeweled lotus <laughs> opener possibility um i don't know that we'll go that far but like it, it's certainly something to consider um so so yeah this card is nuts on turn one you know in najila in particular it can be great if you have to recast najila because it turns out people try to remove her pretty often um so it's not even dead later on necessarily mm -hmm. um and you know why it really shines in that deck is turn one you play najila uh just off the jeweled lotus but then you're also potentially holding up mana turn one and turn two with interaction um and the thing about Najila is that with Najila in play and that deck's density of tutors, uh, you're pretty much always ready to win uh, if you right. can if you can actually uh, get a foothold on the board. So turn one Najila means that turn three you're ready to go, um, you know, and you're almost always gonna have the tutor to find Derevi for that situation. So super super powerful. Well, and I talked about this in uh, my episode with Nathan Jones, um, where we were talking about this game and or this card in particular. And one of the things we touched on is that this really makes turn order very, very, very important, even more so than it was. I believe it, who was it who did um, that study where it was like who the the stats on who won the game the most often um, that's a that's a project that's been done by a few different people but most recently that i can think of is the metagame project uh by yeah. by squirrel mob um which you can find on the uh, competitive edh subreddit pretty easily 
Yeah. Uh, but they, they found that whoever started first, the stats were skewed towards them winning more often than it wasn't. I think this card is going to push those stats even farther in that direction. Um, I don't think it's going to make a lot of non-games. I think it's going to increase them. Um, but, I mean, it's obviously you're going to be able to drop a turn one Najila. That's pretty damn good, right? Like, that's that's really good. And there are other cards that you can drop on turn one. Uh, there's things like Goto, Gitrog, Urza. I mean, all the list goes on and on and on. And so this card just really pushes a lot of those things. Um, and Cobblepot, I knew... So you and I, because when we were talking about it on Discord, our initial response to this was, what the hell? Um, but you kind of had some reasoned thoughts with it the longer we looked at it. So what really was it that you're seeing with this? So um, I agree with the the points that both of you have already illustrated. Um, for For, let's say, commander-oriented lists... So, Najila, Gitrog, Godo, where, where your your priority is to get your commander onto the battlefield as early as possible. Um, this is absurdly good. It's incredible. A turn one Godo um, is is much stronger than I think mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. realize how good that is. Um, and it's even for for lists that want their commanders kind of as a, a peripheral part of their engine. So, you know, Timna lists, the Thrasios lists, those kind of things, um, being able to, you know, accelerate them onto the board as well is, 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 is dramatic. That said, I, I, I don't think it shifts, you know, the metagame around. I, I, I think there, there might be some lists that you don't see, currently um that might get the boost that they need mm -hmm. um i I've, I've heard some people you know whispering about brago you know trying to get brago because you can mm -hmm. get turn one brago's you know more reasonably with this and that kind of thing uh you know lists that were good a while ago but because they're commander centric and they're just you know a turn or two slower than everybody else some of those lists may wind up getting elevated to I mean playability with this the makes, help of this. This makes Grand Arbiter significantly better. It can, yes, absolutely. A turn one Grand Arbiter is also very <laughs> difficult, especially <laughs> uh, a turn one seat one uh, yeah. Grand Arbiter yeah. is, like you were saying, the, the turn order winds up becoming ex extremely pertinent um, in those cases. But but that said, for, for lists where the you know your commander is not your your number one priority, you know, like we were talking about Kenrith before and that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the, you know, depending on, on, on the type of game plan that you're wanting to play, you know, it's, it, it, if you're not expecting a lot of challenge and keeping your commander on the board, if, if people aren't sniping your commander every, every single, you know, time that they, they hit the battlefield, you know, pulling this off the top deck at the end of the game, when your commander's already in play and you don't have partners, um, that's going to feel real bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't think it goes in every deck, and I don't think that it is something that is something that becomes a boogeyman of the format. 
I think this definitely goes in every monocolored deck, though. I think it goes into, you know, even a fair few, um, like, more sort of, let's say, like, bottom-up design decks, you know, decks mm -hmm. that may not be necessarily totally commander-reliant. Um, broadly speaking, I agree with what Cobblepot said. Um, but I think the fact that, um, you know, first of all, it's a zero drop uh, means that it doesn't hurt you whatsoever on your Adnaz curve. Um, you know, it, it has pretty strong synergies, even in these sort of bottom up again, sort of like turbo Nas style decks where you often do want to cast your commander so that you can sacrifice it to calling the weak or diabolic intent. You know, if we look at a deck like Rograk where you might want to like recast him, this handles doing that as well. Mm -hmm. So while I do agree that it doesn't go everywhere and I actually do agree with the more general thesis that I don't believe it becomes a boogeyman of the format. Um, I do think that it's it's going to be surprising how many um, kind of unintuitive places it might end up. Well, I mean, just just a reminder, this is a Black Lotus. Yes, you can only sp spend it on your, on your commander, but uh, three free mana is not bad. You know what I mean? Like there, there are very few situations where I can really think that three free mana is is a bad thing. Uh, I've seen people compare this to uh, very hyperbolically to dark ritual, um, and obviously this isn't quite that. Um, but this is really just a a a card that is going to make these commander centric, like you said. Um, but also, I, honestly, I really agree with what your, your take there, Pongo, because what we're really talking about is a card that, um, I mean, think about with like a Timna Krom. We're talking about, realistically, you could get a turn, I don't know, one or two Krom. That's big. I mean, Timna Krom is not commander-centric, and that deck, if you could slam Krom on turn one, uh, you're in a great place. That's a that's right. a hand you'll frequently keep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to ship that one. Yeah, but uh, and now you Brent mentioned a uh, rogue rack. Is that how I'm supposed to say it? Uh, I'm just going to call Roger, him Roger. Yeah. Um, and uh, he is no zero mana. He's a red creature. He is a legendary kobold warrior who has first strength, menace, trample. He's a zero one. And partner, and so when you first kind of look at this thing, you just kind of go, ah, "What? It's a zero-one with first strike men menace trample and you know, whatever." Um, then you kind of think about all the crazy stuff that it enables, um, a litany of things come to mind. First of all, it makes Mox Amber significantly more playable, uh, which I am all about. Um, it makes uh, or was it um, Cobblepot you had brought up Springleaf Drum yeah. um, it makes those uh, if you control your commander spells insane um, you can sack it to Culling the Weak um, which you had mentioned Pongo I mean the, the card is bananas so what I'm really interested in is like what our take on this is because you know we've talked a lot about like Boogeyman and this is not obviously going to be a Boogeyman but this is going to change the look of what what is on the database right now like this is going to um be a big car that's going to see a lot of play yeah hashtag rog is pog 
um <laughs> for for everyone out there who's listening uh you know who who might hang out in uh you know specific discords and stuff like that um yeah so this card is insane and i agree that it doesn't look at look like it at first um you know it's a zero mana zero one and then it has a bunch of combat based abilities so you know like you know with zero power it's it's funny to have first strike and menace and trample. I, I love the design of this card. Like it it I do too. It it's looks hilarious. Great. It's a it's great hilarious. design. It's an amazing card. Um, I don't think wizards could have ever possibly imagined how degenerate we would get with this card. Right. Um, or maybe they did. And no, they're... they had no idea. No <laughs> they way did not. They thought Nobody had the foresight to see this. But I, I love this card. A good friend of mine actually uh, DM'd me asking me, "Are you going to play this card in Najila?" And I was like. You know, because you play this on turn one, right? And you attack with it when Najila comes and it's a down, warrior, right? And and it triggers Najila, so you get a one one. So like it theoretically does take a turn off your clock. And I was like, well, but the problem there is that um, he's You're a zero one. This. He's a zero one. So yeah, Rograg, Rograg is is Roger is meant to die. Let's put it that way. He's meant to die. He's not meant to die in combat, really. Um, that being said, I'm looking at him again. I'm like, he has menace too. That means that he can't actually be blocked that easily, right. so he doesn't die in combat. What is even happening? Um, yeah, this it's card is so insane. Silly. But he, he um, doesn't he doesn't trigger Drevi. He does not trigger Drevi, but he creates a warrior just when he when he attacks, and that's kind of the appeal. Um, but but yeah, I'm, so I'm gonna gonna spoil this decision for everybody. Uh, don't play that in Najila. <laughs> Yeah, it is a bad idea. <laughs> it's it's not exactly uh, like high enough card quality. Um, I I'm playing other cards uh, that are experimental that do something somewhat similar to playing a zero mana zero one in in, in some ways, but is also just like way way better. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Final Fortune, stuff? Final Fortune Tech, you know, being like essentially time walking is is I think better than having a, a zero mana zero one for that deck in particular. But uh, that's you know that's some some experimental spice. Um, so essentially, yeah, this card is crazy. Um, as you mentioned before, you have all these synergies with free spells. You have all these synergies with cards that uh, want you to sacrifice something to get some kind of you know disproportionate beneficial effect you know typically a lot of black cards do that uh even some red cards do that um you know sacrifice for power uh either it's mana or it's for tutoring stuff like that um you know there's also cards that uh we're getting and we're going to be talking about after that you know care about your commander being in play yet again uh and again anytime we get any card like that having a zero mana commander that instantly makes that a possibility uh, you know, this card can only kind of get stronger from that perspective because if we design cards for Commander, chances are there's going to be some, you know, chances are they're going to continue using the mechanic where that card gets stronger if you control a Commander because it's a great way to balance cards power level-wise so that they're not abusively strong in non-Commander formats, but they do some silly things in our format. Um, so God, if this thing sees play in Legacy, I will eat my shorts. <laughs> I swear to God. Well, the problem is he's legendary, so he's not as good as the other kobolds in you know some of like the kobold-oriented legacy decks. Um, so, you know that's again one one way you can balance a card for for sixty so, card formats. 
so so if you really want to know the at the real meme with this card right is uh i don't remember if i've brought this up on an episode yet or not so one of my favorite cdh decks that i've ever played and still really greatly enjoy playing is a uh, joyra storm and uh this deck triggers or this card triggers joyra it's a free cantrip oh, wow. in that True. deck so i mean like it, it, this card is silly on so many levels um I could see an argument where, uh, first of all, uh, if you have not played Joy or Storm, I absolutely recommending that deck. Um, it's not great against meta stuff, yada, yada, yada. It is fun. Uh, you it have is. never lived until you have been hellbent. And then you top deck a mana vault and then proceed to win the game. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. that is the greatest I've feeling. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. And, and and so this is obviously a card that um you know uh like Garda are going to be talking about playing in in Joyra for sure. Um but there's also uh Kalaha, you've mentioned this, uh some tech that you can do with Dockside Extortionist and Cloudstone Curio. Right. So it there people are looking at a couple of different infinite mana kind of loops that you can have. And the main one is uh you Dockside Extortionist with Cloudstone Curio. And that that's already an existing combo that's used in some places where, you know, you have a one mana dork that you cast and then when it comes into play, then it triggers Cloudstone and you bounce Dockside. And then as long as Dockside is producing, you know, four mana so that you're netting a mana with each loop, you're, you know, spending two on Dockside and one on the dork and you got one left over, um, then that's going to be mana positive for you. This, because he's zero mana, makes it, so that you only need three mana to go mana positive. And mm-hmm. that's, there's almost never going to be a time that you're not going to have that present on the board through your, your opponent's uh, board states. So it's, it, it, you know, very, very likely to, to, to be um, live at any point in the game. And the fact that, you know, part of it is in your command zone, um, it winds up being really good. So you're pairing this guy up with, Either something like Silas doing, you know, the standard things that Grixis does well, or right. you're you're pairing it up with uh, Thrasios, so you're in Teamer, and it's giving you um, your outlet in the command zone for being able to to make use of that and go infinite. Yeah, so that I think you really uh, hit the nail on the the head with with that um, discussion of you know either playing. Uh, Grixis or playing Teamer uh, Rug. Um, so as far as Grixis is concerned, you know, the Turbo Nas land, this is because of all these extra rituals that you get, you know, your consistent Mox Amber, your consistent Culling the Weak, your consistent Diabol Content, you know, among other things. Um, this is a Turbo deck that is, um, it, it's a fraction of a turn faster than the Turbo decks that we already have uh, in terms of its sort of average Goldfish, which is already a big deal because these are decks that, you know, consistently win turn three and win on turn two quite often. And this deck, you know, it has way more average hands that will win on turn two. And now it has, you know, kind of mediocre hands that will win on turn three. And if you're not able to get there on turn two and turn three with your hand, then you mulligan it. <laughs> um, right. and, and you can't overstate how strong either fierce guardianship or deflecting mm-hmm. swat is yeah. from turn one yeah. you know having that live you, you know because people a lot of people will have one of those cards in hand 
and they'll they'll look at you know do I keep this because this might not be live if if you're playing you know you know a Timna deck or you know you know something that where you're not likely to get your commander out until maybe turn two or turn three, mm-hmm. um, those those cards aren't as good in the in those circumstances where if you know that they're guaranteed to be good every game starting from turn one, um, you, you can't overstate how powerful that is in keeping other people off of their their game plans and also protecting your own it's just it's huge one thing um and we just got to acknowledge this um we have to you know rip paradox engine right now Mm. oh my gosh (laughs) i'm not (laughs) sad oh man i'm I'm sad that (laughs) that that would have busted this card wide 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 open I mean, it's already just, busted wide, wide open. So yeah, yeah it just would have made it worse. Um, I mean, to return to this, uh, you know, Crixus versus Teamer thing. Um, you know, in Teamer, obviously, you have the potential to be playing like Dockside Cloudstone, um, Dockside plus Cloudstone Curio combos, uh, mm-hmm. as as Cobble alluded to. Um, but another thing that this card enables really powerfully is like the Divergent Transformations style of mm-hmm. decks where you just transform into a Tidespout Tyrant and you always have a zero drop. Um, yeah. Oh my god! Which is like super amazing <laughs> because the problem with those decks historically has been that, um, you know, you need a creature so you can transform into your big payoff, you know, your Tidespout or whatever. Um, and you oftentimes... also need something that's, that's generally going to be, you know, like a zero mana artifact or something like that to be able to repeatedly started yes yeah and so this actually solves multiple problems so you kind of you know uh (laughs) kind of took the words out of my mouth there um no it's okay (laughs) you know i I, hopefully the uh people listening had kind of a similar thought process and uh, you know similar mind equals blown um (laughs) uh reaction there but the idea here being that you know you have roger that you you pay zero mana for you play him um you can sacrifice him to transform into a tide spout tyrant let's say um and now for just you know two mana um from your command zone you can kind of start going off with a rock um and once you bounce roger back to your hand he's only zero mana from that point on um that's the important interaction there uh so you know you'll get him out of the command zone for the two mana the first time but then when you know, you have a free rock, like a mana crypt or something like that, you know, you just bounce that, um, you bounce Roger, and you're just going off, right? (laughs) You're making infinite colorless mana, and then you uh, hopefully make infinite colored mana, so you can play your Thrasios and win. And that's that deck. Yep. Guys, I want to play Joyra again. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually think in Joyra, when you brought this up, I think I could make a really good argument for slotting in Cloudstone Curio into Joyra now. Um, I should you Tidespout Tyrant? Have you been listening? You just do a, a divergent. No, I, mean, I know list. it's. I I mean I'm just like looking at this and thinking about all the stuff that this enables, and I'm just like, good God! I mean, I I actually maybe this is a really hot take. This is actually probably a really hot take. I think Joyra is moderately more playable now. Um, is well, the with Black Lotus that, too. Is the hot take that she was playable? I'm not sure that I pick up on the hot take. I I don't know the hot the hot take that she's that her stocks are going up. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a hot that's, take. I I 
I think, jo well, first of all, I think Joyra got some new toys um, in general with Jeweled Lotus and Holbre Holbreacher. Um, and I think this just is a cantrip for crying out loud. Um, and there's just, I love this card on so many freaking levels. And my favorite part about it is I, I've already, I'm getting a, uh, version of this commissioned, um, that's going to have Rogers, uh, from American dad, uh, his face plastered over oh Rograk. Very nice. Um, so I am very excited for that. Um, the next card is a, uh, another red card, not a kobold, uh, but is in the family, uh, is a goblin wizard. Uh, it's Kirk the Thumbless. We finally got Kirk on a card. Minus two thumbs. Um, he, he, he doesn't have, he, he only has one thumb. Right? Oh, he's got no thumbs. He's thumbless. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, so Kirk the Thumbless is, uh, one colorless in red, legendary goblin wizard, um, he's a 2-2, two -two. and when you cast an in... <laughs> Jesus, this card. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, return that spell to its owner's hand. If you win the flip, copy that spell, and you may choose new targets for the spell. Oh, and this also has partner. Yep. Um, Cobblepot... <laughs> I'm too. I, you just break down all the bananas stuff that you can do with this. So, at, at two mana, this is a, a really, really powerful effect. And um, with the they they had the the release notes come out for the set uh, that clarified one of the things that people were were unsure about, um, and that's having to do with. If you if you win the flip and it you you get to copy, but the spell is no longer on the stack for any reason, um, it still remembers what the spell was and still gives you a copy of it. Um, and so you can have the original spell get countered and still then get copied. Uh, but something that's even uh, more wacky is that if you have multiple Krarks on the battlefield through uh, whatever copying mechanisms you've got where you can create a copy that doesn't care about the legendary rule, and we'll get to that soon. Uh, <laughs> you, each of those, each of those Krarks will see the original triggering spell that was cast, regardless of whether it's still there. So let's say that you've got three Krarks on the battlefield, and you cast an instant. So you'll get three triggers that'll go on the stack. And then... If that first one loses its flip and returns the spell back to your hand, those other two are still live and they can still make copies, even though that original spell is no longer on the stack. So um, what winds up happening is you, you get these situations where um, even with just with two of them, so if you have two Krarks, then you got a 50% chance of the spell behaving like um, the ultimate of Tamiyo. <laughs> Where, I don't know if you remember the original Tamiyo, that was the five mana blue planeswalker, where the ultimate was, when you cast a spell, put it back in your hand. Um, basically, this is what, it, it, what it'll do 50% of the time. Uh, a quarter of the time, it'll just give you two copies of it, and then a quarter of the time, it'll just come back to your hand in that circumstance. But, I mean, that on its own is bonkers, and then when you have more than two Krarks, it becomes even crazier. But, um, let's say that you're not copying Krarks, 
and you're just using a single Krark on the battlefield. Uh, this makes the the instant um, free interaction, like Fierce Guardianship or uh, Deflecting SWAT, or what's the black one that's... Deadly uh, Rollick? Deadly Rollick. Yes. Um, any of those spells... Smog Salvage? Right. And anything yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't involve... I forgot the green one exists. Right. Any, anything that doesn't involve card disadvantage like force of will or whatever where you have to exile a card any any of the cards where you can just kind of cast it without paying any mana um if if you lose the flip it just goes back to your hand and you can cast it again so you it it basically becomes all upside for those cards so if somebody you know has their win con on the stack you can say i'm gonna fierce guardianship oh nope it came back to my hand no i'll cast fierce guardianship nope it's back up to my hand here oh look now i've got two fierce guardianships both targeting your win con so um that dimension right there is already crazy um but i think that the the one that really really stands out is with underworld breach so when you've got underworld breach and you're live with underworld breach if you have the negative case of the you know your spell going back to your hand well now it's back to your hand it's not in your graveyard anymore so you can cast it without incurring the um what's the what's the the keyword for escape escape thank you um so you don't you don't have to escape the cards in those circumstances right. or you just get two copies of it and then you can just keep on escaping and so on uh but it, it it winds up having some applications that are just really really uh bonkers from kind of like an old school storm mm-hmm. point of view um it is very much a traditional storm type of card right. and actually outside of cedh I could see an argument for wanting to play this in like Legacy Storm. I could I could see that pot. You know, especially if you're if you're actually playing Storm cards. Right. There there were you know the the old in the old days when people were doing you know uh, Adnaz and tendrils and whatever. If they needed to double up on their tendrils, they would run Remand, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they would you know cast tendrils and then Remand it back up to their hand, get all the copies on the stack, and then the card back in hand and be able to cast it again. Um, well, and. Oh, I'm sorry. It's go ahead. And, and he's he's giving that to you, kind of you know for free as a static ability that's always on the, the yeah. battlefield. Yeah, I mean it's it's unsubs, it, it which is what this is 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 unsub, but you can make it better potentially. Sure. Um. So it, I, I just think this card has a lot of applications in a lot of different areas. Bonus round. Um, yeah. So Phoenix brought that up in our group chat, and I really don't want to think of how mm-hmm. that stack looks like. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Because it kind of makes me want to pass out. Um, <laughs> I think this it, is probably going to be the most fun deck in the format. Oh, my, oh for sure. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like, I think that goes without saying. It might not be the best CEDH deck in terms of performance, but it's going to be the most fun deck in all of EDH, I think. Yeah, you'll have a right. blast piloting this. Honestly, it, it you'll is. probably have a blast playing against it, too. Right. Um, so what are the shells that we're looking at with this? Because it has partner. Um, so right away, we're thinking, you know, blue, you want to see blue with this thing, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, this this is another one of those, you know, you, c- you can run it in just kind of a standard Grixis list mm-hmm. and, you know, keep him tucked away for most of the game. And if you wind up starting a, a breach line, you bring him out and then he mm-hmm. improves your 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 stats on all of your breach lines um 
or you can i i think people were doing something with in teamer with him as well just because you can go very mana positive with rituals in a mm-hmm. teamer shell and then you've got thrasios as a, an outlet for all of that mana um and the one that we'll we'll get to in a minute is just is it mm-hmm. where you're you're pairing him up with the new sakashima and yeah. doing the the Krark tribal mm-hmm. where um that is a you look at it on 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 its on its face and that's a pun a thousand faces um <laughs> but you you look at it on its face and you're like what is going on here but what, what the more Krarks that you have on the pit on the, the table and there, there's these circumstances. So um, this list is running dual caster mage. So, you, you know, people might be familiar with using dual caster mage with like twin flame or heat shimmer or whatever, where those are, um, you know, instant spells that let you or, or, you know, instance or sorceries that put a copy of a creature onto the battlefield and give it haste. And then it goes away at the end of turn and you create a loop with dual caster mage where you know keeps on making copies of itself which then copy that spell and so on and so forth um you, you can you can create copies of Krarks. you know if you've got a sufficiently loaded uh bonus <laughs> round that you've got going where you know you get like five copies of any spell that you cast you get five more copies of Krarks, and then like keep on looping um there, there's just really and and like pongo was saying all right this is not going to lead the format in no. the CEDH tournament scene, but it's it's really really interesting and it's playable in CEDH. Mm-hmm. It, it's absolutely going to be able to you know be an active member of of, of the CEDH you know scene I mean, that's taking can, place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, it's a meme that is worth exploring deeper. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> so, um. I'm excited my, for it. My only concern with this card is I don't really understand how he can flip coins without thumbs. <laughs> Who, oh my gosh. Who's got no thumbs and can't flip a coin? This guy. <laughs> you, you can't see me, but I'm holding up two fists. Oh no, the flavor. <laughs> uh, one I, thing, I might have just one ruined thing, the card for everyone. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> one thing I've been thinking about the whole time we've been talking about these last two cards is... Um, all of a sudden, Silas Ren's um, stocks just went straight up. Right. Right? Like, we went from being like, who wants to play that card, right? And then all of a sudden, we're just like, man, we're going to play Silas with this. We're going to do this and this and this. And it was just like... Right. This is the first time that we've got really compelling mono-red partners. So, mm. Well, it's the first time we've got mono-colored partners, period. Um, We've just gotten a lot of really good red cards, period. Yeah. That's true. Uh, red definitely shines in this set. Um, but uh, in, in, in I, I, before we move on, this is definitely something that I want to touch on, is this is a thing that, you know, we've talked about, because you, you can't exist in CDH and not see people go, oh, they need to ban Timna and Thrasios or ban the partners, right? Um, and what I've said for two years is you, know, you don't need to ban the partners. You need to print more that are also compelling and probably in one color uh, so that you can really make people get creative. Strong and white partners. That's that what we need to happen, unfortunately. The, so the problem to partners Watch out for reducing a chroma. 
deck diversity is to just make more partners so that we can get our deck diversity back. <laughs> Correct. Right. Proliferate See, it, it's it's like uh, when a joke is so bad that the farther you go with the joke, it eventually gets funnier. Right. Um. So it's like with that being said, flips back over and becomes funny again. It's speaking, a family joke. More family partners. guy joke. Yeah. Speaking of more partners, <clears throat> um, another partner. We're, we've we've talked a lot about partners in this set. Uh, is Sakashima of a Thousand Faces? We've got a new Sakashima. Uh, he's originally from which part of uh, what? He's shoot. from Kamigawa, I think. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. which part of that block he was printed in, uh, but he was in the Kamigawa block originally. But Sakashima of a Thousand Faces is three colorless and a blue, a legendary human rogue. He's a three one. You may have Sakashima of a Thousand Faces enter the battlefield as a copy of another creature you control, except it has Sakashima of a Thousand Faces other abilities. And his other abilities are the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control and partner, of course. Um, the legend rule piece of that is... Um, pretty big <laughs> right right we were talking mm -hmm. about it with uh crock and we kind of explored all the crazy things that we can do that with that right um another thing that people are talking about with this is pairing it with timna and then you get two timnas um this has some pretty interesting i don't know necessarily it's going to be very ubiquitous but this has some pretty interesting uh possible things you know pongo what are you thinking with this thing I, I mean, I think that that idea has legs, for sure. Um, so, essentially, in the past, uh, Timna, you would occasionally see Timna being partnered with uh, Ishai, and you end up with an Esper uh, partner pairing that way. And the idea there being that you're kind of playing, like, a bunch of small creatures, uh, you know, a lot of, like, sort of like these, like... Um, curse catcher type effects um you know so you're you're essentially playing these kind of like tempo oriented creatures um you're drawing cards off of timna naturally uh and then you're also playing a shy which will kind of just be there getting you know bigger and bigger threatening people um and you know winning the game at a certain point just by beating down uh and so that deck also plays extra turn effects because you know when you're beating down with a shy when you're drawing loads of cards with timna again you're kind of like an edric deck um, where you don't necessarily need to get, you know, infinite turns to win, or not mm -hmm. even infinite turns, but, like, you know, an absurd amount of turns. Sometimes you just kind of will get there. Um, you know, this could kind of fill a similar role. Um, and and you could even theoretically go beyond it by playing, like, more hate bearer and stacks-type effects, um, because Sakashima naturally is going to, you know, if it comes into play as a copy of Timna then you're just getting lots and lots of additional card draw. Um, or, you know, you can use him just to double up on one of your stacks pieces. Uh, that, that can be really, really important. Um, so I think that there's certainly room to explore these, uh, you know, Esper, Timna, um, Sakashima-type decks um, that are just going to look to uh, kind of tempo people out that way. Right. And and I'm I'm interested to see kind of where that goes. Um, another thing that we've kind of talked about with Timna, um, is Malcolm, the keen-eyed, um, and I'm not sure, like, 
because I feel like with Sakashima, right? Like it's all pretty straightforward, right? Cobblepot, like it's it copies a thing, you make the thing, right? Like I mean, what else? Because we really kind of dove with it a lot with the Kirk, and that's kind of the big thing. Like where? So, what else is with this? So it, this is a card that I mean. The original Sakashima is not too far different from this in the way mm-hmm. that you're going to use it most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there, I, I would say the, the main places that you used to see the original Sakashima used were in Derevi decks to have um, to double up on all of the triggers, which is that's a, a very dramatic effect when you have two Derevis and you have five creatures on the board. Getting ten triggers is, is insane. Um, but the, the other place that you would see it was in Eureka decks. Um, it is mm-hmm. fairly common to see Eureka have Spark Double and the original Sakashima just to double up on the, the ninja triggers in, in a very similar way to what you do with, with, with Timna. And um, the I, I guess the, the key difference here is being able to have B in your command zone with right. Timna. I, I can see... The, the attraction there and it then just means that esper is is an interesting uh there, there aren't a lot of esper decks that we have in the metagame right now that are that are, that are popular we, we see a lot of four color decks that contain esper but i mean you, you don't see zur very often mm. I'm, I you don't see Amanatu very often right I'm, I'm i'm struggling to think of an esper deck that's solely esper I mean, those are literally the two decks on the database. There's Zuri and Aminatu. It's fallen off the map because you absolutely want to have red these days, pretty much. Right. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll, I would be interested to see how those decks pan out because being a Eureka player myself, um, I know how dramatic it can be to double up on those those mm-hmm. Edric style card draw effects um, in aggressive decks. So I, I, I know that that can be powerful and whether it is going to be enough to be able to contend with the blisteringly fast and getting faster under Roger and some of these other kind of, you know, these Grixis lists that are going to be threatening really fast Adnaz, um, if it's if it's the right moment for that pairing to shine or not. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's one last thing I wanted to mention about Sakashima that I didn't want to gloss over because it's kind of an interesting point. Um, you know, for four mana, not only are you getting a clone effect, but you're also getting a one-sided mirror gallery. Um, and so that mirror gallery makes all of your other clones potentially that much stronger. Right. Um, you know, you suddenly your phantasmal image can be another, a third Timna. Um, you know, if you play this Jeez. in like a Derevi style deck again, you know, one of the other common things you would do with your Sakashima and Derevi is you would copy Grand Arbiter, um, because that's just so strong when you've got double mm-hmm. grand arbiter um and your opponents are paying two extra for their spells and your white and blue spells cost two less um right. now theoretically you get triple or quadruple um grand arbiter so there's a lot of potential power in this uh you know kind of tacked on mirror gallery effect that mm-hmm. i think uh you know we'd now, be remiss not to mention right there there's there's a a, a, a tricky little rule question that comes up there and this is another thing that i think we have to, to look into the, the 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 rulings for for the mm-hmm. for the set um but when a clone copies a card it 
copies the card itself. And when we're talking from a layering point of view, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if a clone can copy Sakashima copying another card. And the reason why that's important is um, if you have Sakashima that's giving you your mirror gallery effect, that becomes a huge point of vulnerability for getting blown out. Mm -hmm. If you've got multiple like phantasmal images or something on the battlefield that are copying legendary permanence. So as soon as your mirror gallery goes away, then you also lose as a static effect all of the copy, you know, the tokens that are now violating the legend rule. And people were saying, well, you can get around it by having people, you know, copy the Sakashima as something else. And I, I don't, I don't believe that that's a thing that you can do. So it's just a, a point of vulnerability people need to be aware of. Yeah, um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm not sure about I, that. I want to say you can. And the reason I think that is um, if you were to clone a phantasmal image, right? Uh, that's a clone of, I don't know, Gilda Drake, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, it doesn't target, so it won't trigger the ability, which right. is important. Um, but the other piece to that is um, that immediately what you're going to see is it will also have the phantasmal image ability attached to it because that's part of the wording on the text is it adds that ability. And so that's what it's doing here, except it has Sakashima of the thousand faces, other abilities. So I think that layer makes it so that the legend rule sticks around. I might be wrong, um, but I feel like that it would function similarly to a phantasmal image. Yeah. My, my understanding is that um, you ought to be able to, to copy Sakashima, copying something else, and expect to have uh, a clone of the original target. You know, I say target with mm -hmm. uh, you know parentheses around it. Um, the original cloned creature, let's say. Um, so that's that's my understanding of the rules. I am not a judge, and obviously, uh, you know, it, we have to wait and see for mm -hmm. all the set notes before we can be a hundred percent for certain. Right, but. Right. Uh, but yeah, at least my intuition is that we should be able to copy Sakashima copying something else and have it work the way we would want it to work. Right. Um, so potentially even stronger, uh, you know, and, and actually that's a really good point to consider because um, it, it does mean that your play pattern should always be to copy the Sakashima and not copy the original thing if you want to have three copies of the same thing because you do want to have the double... Uh, mirror gallery effect right especially for the Kark tribal list because you don't want someone to shoot your sakashima down and then lose all of your karks because right you know so. uh so moving on to some of the other partners um god we still have a lot more to go <laughs> <laughs>